I'm recording from my parents' house, and my dad collects coffee mugs. Reed Smith, roving reporter. Reed, tell us what's going on in the coffee cup cabinets of your father. Let's see. We've got Fort Worth Stock Show Centennial, celebrating 100 years of heroes. We've got one here from Callaway Gardens. Callaway Gardens is over in uh, Georgia. Uh, let's see what we got here. We've Oh, one of my favorites, uh, Lambert's Cafe uh, up in the Ozarks. It's the home of the throwed roll. Like, they throw rolls across the restaurant. So, like, if you want one, like, there's making them over in the corner. You just, like, stick your hand up, and they'll just, like, wing a roll across the restaurant to you. How's Reed Smith coming to you live from the upper right cabinet? Hey everyone, welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we're going to dive deep on a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. Put your hands together, everybody. Here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. And that was Michael Vensky reading our intro to our podcast again. We want to thank Michael quite a bit for all the work that he's done. Michael provided us just a cachet of great audio recordings, and we use uh, different ones every episode, or we try to at least swap them out. For those of you who don't know Michael, he is an award-winning writer, actor, and a wedding officiant. And he also works in the industry, and you can learn more about him at michaelvensky.com. And I am Chris Boyer, the co-host of the podcast, along with my other co-host, Reed Smith, on the other side of the roving microphone over there. You can learn a lot about him through his social media accounts, which are at Reed Smith or at Not a Lawyer Reed Smith in some That's cases, right. as well as his website, Social Health Institute. Reed, welcome to episode 51. Thanks, man. And that is Chris Boyer. Find him at ChristopherBoyer.com, at Chris Boyer on all the social channels, and use the word cachet already. Look at that. Who would have thought when we started this? Man, 51, one week shy of a year's worth of recording this podcast. And I look back, even though our first podcast came out on the 5th of February, we actually recorded it on the 1st of February. Mm. So for all those keeping track at home or the historical trivia question, what this inevitably comes up as, you'll know. Next week's going to be a really cool year anniversary podcast. We're asking people that are listening in, some of our loyal fans, if they want to submit a birthday greeting or a message of some sort, feel free to just you know drop us a line. You can either write it up in text or send us a little voice memo or some kind of voice recording our way. We'd be more than happy to feature it next week. Yep, it may be hard to understand because I will be eating cake the entire time. <laughs> but before we get too far into this episode, you know, we couldn't, we talked about doing this for a year, and we, we honestly could not have done this without a year uh, without our sponsors. And our very first sponsor we ever had is still a sponsor today, and that is Loyal Healthcare. We've talked a lot about some of the things that they offer. Specifically, it, it'd be great if you go out to their website, but specifically around their AI-driven chat platform that they have called Guide. It's a, it's a really cool setup. It, it enables and provides healthcare systems with tools that they need to really amplify patient feedback and guide patients through their digital journey. And Loyal has such a great team of engineers, marketers, data scientists. They really understand where the the industry is going. And they definitely find that out by partnering with some of the nation's leading healthcare systems to promote patient loyalty through a smarter digital patient experience. You should keep an eye out for these guys. 
Absolutely. And if you uh, if you do head over there, please do. And please tell them that we sent you. But also make sure that you don't just visit their website, but but go in there, get a demo, check out what they're doing. I think it's uh, something that really makes a lot of sense. You can visit them over at LoyalHealth.com, LoyalHealth.com. All right, Reed. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk about doctors doing digital. How's that for alliteration? Or as the title is called, Doctors Don't Do Digital, Do They? <laughs> Oh, man. Chris did not ask me about this title before uh, titling the episode. So I just want want to be real clear about that. We've talked about this before, though, Reed. We've we've had a couple episodes where we've talked with doctors and about their involvement in digital. But when we talk about digital in this context, I think it might be important for us to kind of break out different levels of digital that are potentially ways that doctors can can work with in, in a hospital system or in their own individual practice. I think historically, if you said that you were in charge of digital at your organization, everybody immediately knew that you were in marketing. And that's probably not so much the, I mean, they may still think that, but that's not so much the case anymore. You know, there's a couple of different places within the organization now that I think is pretty prevalent that, you know, you have people specifically focused on this. And so digital marketing, digital communications is websites and being involved on social media, communicating, putting out good content, all of that stuff, you know, that that is around how to market and communicate more effectively through these digital platforms. Right. And then it's what we've probably been doing for the longest, just by the sheer fact that most people have had a website for some years now. Whether you specifically had anybody over that or not, I don't know, but you've been doing it, doing it for some time. So, you know, how else are we defining digital? Well, another way you can look at digital is through something called digital health, which means the convergence of digital and clinical technologies with health, healthcare, lifestyle to enhance the efficiency of healthcare delivery and make treatments more personalized and precise. So we've talked about that a little bit. This is really where digital and health intersect. And they start doing things like wearable technologies or medical devices or using chatbots to help work with chronic care management, you know, those sorts of things. Sure. And then I think just from a sheer innovation standpoint is probably another category could live inside marketing, could not live inside marketing. But it's that idea that, you know, digital has allowed us to innovate uh, to a place where we're enhancing maybe some things that already exist. And so things like bill pay jump into mind for me. I mean, you've always been able to pay your bill. Mm-hmm. You know, they mailed you something, you mailed something back, or you may go down there in person and, you know, those types of things. So not that those things don't still exist, but we're seeing the transformation or the enhancements in that area where you pay your bill online now, or maybe you get your medical records through a portal. Again, you know, the end result is still the same. You're getting your bill paid, you're getting your records, you know, whatever it may be, but the mm-hmm. convenience Uh, And the way in which you interact in those spaces is being enhanced by the sheer fact of what we, I guess, really uh, expect because of the way we interact in our everyday life outside of healthcare. Yeah. Another one to think about is like uh, email reminders or text message reminders of appointments, looking at those processes and ways that, you know, you typically run business and using digital to transform and make those even more efficient. There's this last area, Reed, that we've talked, we've been touching on a lot over this last year, digital experience. And that really addresses that overarching experience. And it could include everything that we just talked about, digital marketing, digital health, digital innovation. But it's really that interaction between a customer 
and an organization that's done online, but it's much more than just executing on a particular type of activity or a strategy or anything through digital. It's really about using digital as a way to engage and even proactively anticipate the needs and preferences of the people that we're talking to to support the experience. Doctors included, not included, just your perception, where are we spending the most time out of those four, do you feel like, as as organizations? When you look at these four, different departments in hospitals are addressing these things differently. If you talk to a marketing person or a person that's in the communications department, I think they would say that they primarily spend a lot of their time on digital marketing and communications. Whereas if you talk to someone, let's say, that's clinically focused, a physician or uh, you know someone that's running a service line or what have you, they'd probably say they spend a lot of time focusing on digital health. If you talk to the IT folks, they're probably talking about digital innovation. And that's what they're spending all their time doing. And then if you talk to like the people in charge of experience, which could include marketers, they'll say, well, we focus a lot on digital experience. So I guess it's who you're asking. So who owns digital? Not to completely guess off track, but I mean, <laughs> I, you know, we, we've talked a lot about this and we're fixing to talk about, you know, physicians in this space. But mm-hmm. where does this reside? Do you feel like? It's interesting that you ask that question because I get asked that all the time. Who owns digital? And the answer to that is, is we all own digital. And we've talked about uh, a couple episodes ago about the customer owning digital and driving digital strategy. Honestly, we all interact with digital in this particular case. So I guess, you know, we, we have a propensity in our organizations to put someone with that name of chief digital officer or something like that, that would own the digital experience, but we all own it. What we have to do is we Mm. have to look at ways to make it a little bit more seamless and holistic so that it's not competing with one another. Marketing communications experience, ITNS, other clinical leaders, administrative leaders, et cetera, Mm -hmm. but specifically physicians. Physicians do this, quote unquote, in some capacity. Doctors are doing digital in these capacities, but they're addressing each one of these a little bit different. So I thought it might be cool for us to talk about each one of these four categories and talk and give some examples around how physicians are actually working within these different digital segments and share some good practices. All right, let's do it. So first is digital marketing, doctors and digital marketing. We've had a couple of physicians on the show, uh, Dr. Brian Vardabedian. So, you know, he's down at uh, Texas Children's down in Houston, pediatric GI doc, has a very popular physician-based blog called 33 Charts, and doing some interesting things down there. And of course, he's pretty well known, and, and we see him, quote unquote, on the circuit uh, each and every year speaking at different conferences and all that. And so he's marketing not only books he's written. Uh, you know, in the clinical space, but also himself personally as a leader in this space. Also, uh, Dr. Justin Smith, that I mentioned up at uh, Cook Children's in Fort Worth, we had him on as well. He's doing a lot of the same thing. Cook Children's has done a, a neat thing with a kind of an online newsroom model. And so he participates and is a pretty big focus in and amongst that and, and really kind of helped them down this path because he did want to be more visible online. So another one, Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson that we both yep. know, hers is very consumer focused, uh, talking to, to a lot of moms out there, uh, folks with small children because she is a pediatrician. And so I, you know, I can think of several doctors out there that do this. And the thing is, is that 
and all of these examples that you shared, they've all learned how to use these digital channels to be more effective at communicating, if not marketing for themselves, their practices or their organizations or their causes that they're promoting. Those are great examples of the way doctors can use these platforms to communicate more effectively with peers, with potential patients, with existing patients, you know, social media presentations, being able to be more active, as, as Dr. V calls it, uh, being a, a public physician, right? Yep. Practicing more transparently in the open, but also starting to use these tools to get engagement, to drive a particular type of action. Uh, Dr. Wendy Sue Swanson does a really great job of advocating for pediatric content. And if you go out and look at her content, she's really mastered the channels and the communication form and is very persuasive and a very effective speaker. There are a fair amount of those doctors out there, obviously, especially as you get into the subspecialties and things like that, that are on these platforms to talk to other physicians. I think of several. Dr. Matt Katz is one, you know, that does does a fair amount in this space, uh, more from a physician standpoint. But there are quite a few, and there's hashtags that exist out there, like MedEd, where you know, a place for these physicians to interact with each other. Not to mention some of the platforms like Doximity, which we'll we'll hear more from them later. But again, digital marketing, but in a little bit of a different way. If you look at all of these digital channels and the way digital marketing has evolved, getting physicians involved into social media into to online content, into all the variety of channels, are it's, it's tremendously effective. And there's good ways to do it, and there's, there's poor ways to do it. But one thing that we do know, though, is if they become active in these channels, they can really drive the way healthcare communication, medical education, patient education is done. There's a great article that, we're, that we can link to in our show notes or that Adweek actually put out. It's not even an article. It's actually an opinion. It outlines how social media has revolutionized medical care. Using social media effectively by physicians has transformed the way patients and, and other peers interact with physicians, so building relationships. Now, we clearly we know social media is a great place to build relationships and maybe build relationships that we don't want to build. If you think about some of the people that we have to block now. <laughs> yes. Physicians are using social media in a way to start to build relationships with other patients, like participating in online communities, being part of Facebook groups, as well as 88% of doctors are using social media to research new information about the industry itself and connecting with peers. And that's where a platform like Doximity really becomes effective. Okay, so you've got you've got physicians, you've got them participating in digital marketing. That next category, I believe, was digital health. So again, this is like where digital and clinical intersect together. Digital health is so important that even the American Medical Association puts out guidelines for digital health. That's interesting. If I knew this existed, I'm not sure that I spent a lot of time looking at it, at least on the AMA site. They have a great resource here, and it, and it covers a lot of different things. But they, you know, they indicate that digital health is imperative to physicians moving forward. And when they're talking about like telemedicine, telehealth, mobile health, wearables, remote monitoring, apps, all these other things, the AMA is, is provided this whole page around great resources for doctors about how they could be part of this. Now, way back when, when I was starting in, in this space and working with doctors, then if they had a really good website and maybe they were publishing content via email or maybe they had a blog or something like that, to them, that was the epitome of where they can go with digital health. But now it's transformed. It's like 
digital is becoming part of the clinical care application. The expectation of the consumer even on, you know, how they participate in their health care is, is changing. And we're seeing that with the voice first devices and some of that kind of stuff. I mean, you just think about flu right now. Do I see where they have now determined this is like an epidemic or something? Do I see yeah. that posted somewhere? Yeah. If I or someone in my family gets the flu or we th- our flu-like symptoms, let's say, which is highly likely, apparently, because I have kids that go to school every day. That's why I just stay in another room. But when this happens, do I want to... You know, especially if it's one of the kids and then one of us has to take them to the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Or could we just accomplish the same thing via telemedicine and skip the doctor's office? Because they're slam full right now. Again, just the expectation, the convenience, the effectiveness, the being able to you know connect with or interact with physicians that uh, maybe you wouldn't normally have access to. Let me go through a little bit of the content that's actually on this link. They have an information about reviewing that the digital health environment. They did a review of the current health environment, including academic, medical, and industry research, and put out a summary of physicians' current mindset as it relates to digital health, understand what motivates and attracts them to want to use various digital tools, and recognize their requirements for integrating these tools in the patient care and their practices. And they have a PDF there. They have another one about connecting physicians to one another online. They're promoting their AMA Physician Innovation Network, but Doximity is another great tool where you can do that. They have information about EHR usability and interoperability and how to use that effectively in healthcare. Advocacy. This page is chock full of these resources. It just shows how important a lot of this stuff is becoming because there there are these resources now where this stuff didn't used to exist. And there was an article out of Time Magazine where they were talking about digital doctors. They said that all of these new platforms and ways for for doctors to become more involved in digital clinical health and digital health is really transforming the way we're working in the space. And they talked about, you know, Doctors on Demand and Healthy.io. And one of the things they said is that 100% of doctor-patient interaction is eye-to-eye contact. That's why they're driving more towards using digital as a way to get your doctor face-to-face with you closer. It says it right there in the very beginning of the articles that it, you know, currently it takes nearly 20 days on average to get an appointment with a family physician in the U.S. That can't hold up. So it's, it's just a supply and demand scenario. So it makes a ton of sense. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. Well, let's talk now about doctors and digital innovation. So are physicians involved in digital innovation? I guess is one question. I mean, there are some, of course. How should they participate? What makes the most sense? If you think about digital innovation by its own definition, it could include digital health. 
if digital health is done to improve processes, remember digital innovation is about using digital to transform the way things are done within your organization. So I would say that maybe digital health is a subset of digital innovation. I think that a lot of times when you look at most innovation labs or innovation clinics that are done within a healthcare setting, a lot of times that comes from various people that are on the front lines of delivering care. And aren't doctors at the front line of delivering care? Yeah, they are. The biggest hiccup here or the biggest tripping point is the reimbursement side. You know, we spend a lot of time innovating and even coming up with new ways to access care like telemedicine until it's incentivized for use. I I don't know. I'm not sure what you do with that. It's just a good idea with no funding. And that's not to say that doctors are motivated purely by incentives. They aren't. No, they're not. And matter of fact, a lot of them are getting paid less and less every year and seeing more, seeing more and more patients maybe to even just stay even. They're highly incentivized for more efficiency. And I think reduced cost is probably good for everybody. But there still has to be a way that they're being compensated for their expertise and their time. You're absolutely right. We got to introduce a culture of innovation into their lives in a way that they can be encouraged to experiment and make things better. Now, whenever I say that and you're talking about doctors, I don't think a lot of people that are patients like to hear that, you know, we want to give a platform for doctors to experiment. But we're not talking about that with clinical care practices here. What we're talking about is experimenting on ways to improve the way things are done, not the things that they're actually doing themselves. It's still the practice of medicine fundamentally, but maybe mm-hmm. the execution or the fulfillment or the evaluation To that end, you know, that a lot of times when digital innovation is introduced into the care setting, resulting in some good action, that can lead to actually improving the quality of care that's being delivered rather than experimenting on the quality of care, right? What we're trying to do is we're trying to make things better for them. And ultimately, what that leads to is increasing the value and competition of how doctors can continue to provide good value in a cost-effective way in this new world of digital. And how do they do that and still see patients all day? That's why they need to partner with people that can help with them. And there's a lot of companies that are focusing on helping to drive innovation. you got to put parameters around it. you got to set some guidelines. It isn't just like an open lab where they just show up with patients and say, well, today I'm going to try to treat your heart attack via the iPhone. It's not like that, right? It's It's, <laughs> it's got to be... You got to put structure around it, but certainly you could you could start to put together innovation within the care setting, or even in special unique labs where you could start to try out things very regulated, very tested. And so I think this is where uh, some hospital systems are making a pretty concerted investment to be able to capture, I guess, learn from, build, and execute all at the same time. So you think say things or see things, excuse me, like Johns Hopkins is doing the the Sibley Innovation Hub, where again some of it's patient experience, some of it's uh, a little more or purely clinical, I would assume. But you know they're looking for and figuring out how you know how do we garner all the opportunity that exists, sort those out, lead those projects, and actually get something on the ground. 
there are a lot of hospitals that have innovation labs within them, and they they have structure, they have some guidance, they have people that help to create the guardrails around what these innovation experiments might be. They talk to one another and they share great ideas and share with one another. And this is kind of a carryover from other industries, Reed. Ten years ago, when we were talking about digital innovation in healthcare, it was being driven primarily from medical device companies like GE and others that were trying to bring that into the space. Now within hospitals themselves, they're allowing themselves to, to address this. Kind of that last category down there is a digital experience. So that's the the one that, you know, kind of is the overarching, I would say, of sure. all of these, because experience can be, when you're talking about customer experience, it could be any variety of stakeholders that are out there, patients, potential patients, people that don't want to come to your hospital, but they're like healthy family members. And then you can start to talk about doctors and nurses. How are we getting doctors to be involved in supporting that overall digital experience? I mean, I think some of it is uh, ratings and reviews have driven the, or maybe, maybe forced the hand a little bit. Now that people can make their voices heard, you have to get involved, whether it's a system level, physician level, practice level, whatever it may be, into what people are experiencing, what their perception is. You know, and in most cases, or all cases, I guess, perception is reality, although they may not be right. The perceptions actually can help to drive clinical changes. So if you think about it, doctors have been involved with patient satisfaction scores for a very long time. Sure. And they get reviews, right, from Prescani and others where they sit down and they kind of review their Prescani scores. They look at their CCAPs or their HCAP scores. And there is conversations that are being had around what things are being brought up through these reviews. They're looking at ways, how, does, how do we have to change the way we do care? Is it a way that we you know, change the, the lobby? Do we have to look at our patient access, the people at the front desks, to ensure that they're greeting the patient the right way and giving the right information when they're onboarded or when they're leaving? That conversation has been around for a very long time. It's just now we got digital that can help drive that conversation in a much more real-time manner. Is it more about the openness to receive what's coming through the pipe? <laughs> versus driving it from therein? Don't get me wrong. There are still a great deal of physicians that think that when someone is lodging a complaint, either through like a Prescani or online, there's a lot of onus on the reviewer. The reviewer must have been in a bad mood, blah, 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 blah. But one thing that digital can do is start to aggregate all of these complaints or these comments together with systematic themes and trends, etc. I was just recently working with an organization where there was a great deal of online complaints about particular facilities. And what they were complaining about, it seemed like they were very upset about the experience. But when you got into the root cause and you were actually able to uh, you know, isolate and, and use digital to kind of pull out the different themes, the overall takeaway was is they were more um, upset about the billing practices, not about the experience itself. And I think that's very important. If you're running a physician practice and and your patients are complaining about how billing is being administered, that right there can you know is something that's important for you to know, even though it's not clinical in nature. And some of it you can control, some of it you can't. So you know, yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't guess there's like a silver bullet there necessarily. However, 
it's now the realization, like it is for hospitals as well, I guess, is that all of that is part of the experience, not just what happens in the room or whatever. I mean, you always hear it's like, you know, everything went great until they were like wheeling the patient out and like hit their leg, you know, on the door or whatever with the and ruined the whole thing. It's the same deal. There hasn't been the insight or the transparency around a lot of this stuff to really understand you know, anything outside of just that interaction in the room. And the good news, though, is, is that with these same platforms, we talk about online physician ratings or, you know, ways that we can communicate back. Digital provides you that channel to be able to not only track things in real time, but then to respond back accordingly. And that's not to say that we're instructing doctors to go out and respond to every negative comment. Clearly, you got to have protocols and approaches to that. But using this data now as another input into the care setting allows you another way to also then communicate out about how the, how the changes are being made or whatever the, the concern might be. And that gives you another way to build that engagement with your patient base. Man, that's a, that's a lot to consider and it's a lot to think about. It's funny because we don't, we hospitals, we marketers, I guess, don't necessarily participate in all these spaces. So should physicians be concerned with participation in, in all these spaces or do they find the one that works for them or what does that look like? Now, my opinion on this is that we digital marketers or the people that are out there working with this online reputation management, whoever that may be in your organization, right? They, they've been spending a lot of time getting to know the right protocols, when to respond, how to look at triggers, maybe even using the right language to respond. You know, they could provide a lot of guidance and a lot of insight. There are, there are a lot of uh, forums now where physicians can go online to actually learn how to respond, what are the right things to respond to, gain best practices, so to speak, around how to be participatory in this online transparent space. And again, one of those resources is, you know, Dr. Brian Vardabidian's book, The Public Physician. That shares some great examples about how you can be participating. I guess the right answer depends on the person. Depends on what they do. Depends on what the comfort level is. It's, It's really no different, I guess. On the marketing communication side or on the administrative side, I guess, you know, we're, we're hired into these roles and this is more of a primary function of our role versus Mm -hmm. a physician's primary function, obviously, is to, at least in most cases, treat patients. Digital marketing communications is not their primary call. It's hard for physicians. And don't get me wrong. I'm not a physician. Reed, you're not a physician, nor do we play one on TV or on a podcast. <laughs> right. We could, I guess. But we've worked with a lot of physicians. And, you know, quite frankly, physicians sometimes, it's a big challenge for them. Because if you think about it, they're responsible for a lot. Let's say, for example, they run their own practice. It's almost like they're the CEO of that practice. And they're right. responsible for everything. And, and you're saying to them, not only are you responsible for now marketing and communicating through these digital channels, also finding a way digitals to improve your health, maybe find ways to innovate, and also, by the way, be responsible for the digital experience. That sounds like a lot of weight on their shoulders. And imagine putting that on the weight of physicians that have spent a lot of their time really honing their craft around clinical care. It's almost like like we're asking them to do too much. At the very end of the day, you want a physician that's the very best clinically as they can be. That's why you go there, not because, I mean, may, maybe you choose a physician because their office is fancy. You know, so from an experience standpoint, it's really great. You don't ever have to wait and it's really nice and there's massage chairs. I don't know, what, what, whatever the reason is. But ultimately, it's about the outcome. I mean, that's why you're going to go back at least, right? Yeah, but there's a lot of studies recently that have shown that... 
if you have a good relationship with your healthcare provider, your physician, then you tend to work more collaboratively towards care and therefore you actually tend to have better outcomes. So is it really now that for physicians, you want to pick the best of the breed and they are the best at doing this particular type of surgery and that's all you need? Forget about everything else. They could be jerks. Who cares? We'll deal with it. We'll hire staff around it to kind of protect them from the public. I don't know if that's the right answer. I think there has to be a healthy balance now. Physicians are asked to do a lot. And what we need to do is we need to show to them that digital is something that can actually be a benefit to them, but it's something they definitely can't avoid nowadays. It's just going to become more and more that way. And I think that's why, you know, we've seen this become part of curriculum in medical school now. Again, we've mentioned Brian several times, but Dr. Vardabedian's done several things with the Baylor College of Medicine where this is, uh, you know, they're teaching a lot of this and explaining what these tools are and what it means and that can't just say whatever you want on Twitter. Like you're, you're not a separate person. So, you know, digital professionalism type stuff. And so it's just an ever evolving space, I guess. And doctors have to do digital nowadays or, you know, or they're just not going to be part of what the future state is. It's not because we think they're bad doctors. It's really because we want them to be better doctors. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, you know, they've got a consumer experience platform that, that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would, I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else, they've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But, but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems, kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to InfluenceHealth.com. Touchpoint. Touch counterpoint. There are two sides to every story. Ready? Fight! All right, here we are at Touchpoint, Touch Counterpoint, version 51, I guess. <laughs> our, our match 51 or whatever. Okay, so we're talking a lot about physicians and digital today. And I guess my I guess my question I'll throw out there, and you, you tell me what side of this you come down on, and I'll take the other side, is uh, would you rather have the best-in-class, clinically best-in-class physician that's uh, it, it's just mediocre or maybe not very good at, at everything else, digital, for example, or would you rather have a physician that's uh, – he's – you know, he's pretty good clinically and he's uh, pretty good at all the digital, you know, communications and, you know, the digital mediums uh, around innovation and experience. Which would you rather have? 
I'm going to go with a pretty good physician, Reed. I think that if you have a pretty good physician that obviously can do his or her job pretty well, but also has embraced a variety of these different tools, digital tools, digital health tools, whatever that might be, I think that that's going to provide me a much better, much richer experience with that provider. That's the one I would settle for, for sure. Settle for. It's an excellent way to say that. I would say that there's no way that you would you would pass up the best in field, the best in class, just because this other doctor's office has a better patient portal. <laughs> I mean, come on. Like you're gonna go with the guy that's like the best. Because at the end of the day, you're not trying to be buddies or friends. Like you want to be well treated, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, I see the fallacy in your logic there, Reed, in that <laughs> you think that care is delivered in an episodic fashion. If you want to have the very best, if I have only one shot at that with a doctor, for sure I want the best one there. But the thing is, is that most care, 98%, 99% of care that's delivered nowadays involves an ongoing relationship with the care provider or that care entity. So to me, I think the experience trumps the digital experience, that overarching experience trumps that individual physician experience. And I think that, you know, in that particular case, I want to be able to not only interact and have a great experience with that doctor, and, you know, I'll take a B plus doctor any day of the week for that. And then, you know, have that pre and that post experience care with them through all these channels that are going to make it more efficient for me. Yeah, I don't, I don't need all that. I just need somebody to write the prescription for Tamiflu. I don't want to have a conversation and back and forth and how's everything going. I, I, it's fine. I have the flu. Can we hurry this up? Like, that's all I'm looking for. Now, granted, obviously... Uh, you want the best, the higher the acuity goes. Because then it's like, who cares about the other stuff? Like, I, I'd like to not die. I want the guy that can fix this, whatever that is. I don't know. Or or maybe it's not even die. Maybe that may be a little extreme. But like, you know, even joint replacement. You know, it's like, look, I'm going to have to live with this forever. I need to not be in pain all the time. That'd be super. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't care about his bedside manner. I care about him fixing my hip. It's in the same way, I don't care about the patient portal. And, you know, any sort of communications or how nice the waiting room is or any other extenuating pieces like I need every single day my hip not to hurt. I agree with you on that. But in the same manner, you also want to be able to communicate with that doctor very simply and with afterwards. And wouldn't it be great to be have a doctor that you can actually maybe text message or, or email and say, look, I woke up this morning, my hip feels really whack. Should I come in? And and she says, hey, why don't we jump on uh, you know, a telechat? Let's take a look. Let me watch how you're walking around, whatever. You know, I think that, again, I'm not saying that you go to bad doctors. But what I am saying is you want to go to a doctor that allows for more of this digital experience, this digital health capability, because quite frankly, it's going to make your overall engagement with your own care much better. Tamiflu aside, and I and I get your example about the Tamiflu, um, I also think that the much higher acuity level that you go, let's say if you become a cancer patient, you're going to be experiencing multiple parts of a health system then. You want to be able to make sure that all of your experiences across those multiple touch points from imaging to radiology to waiting in the waiting room, etc., is going to be good. I'm going to default to overall experience. Digital experience trumps doctor experience any day of the week. Ah, there's no way. There's no way. 
Otherwise, people would not be traveling across the country to the world-renowned such-and-such doctor or clinic or hospital or whatever. They don't go there for the warm cookies and the upfront parking. Like They're going there to get fixed. But those same places that they're going to, and we can name like the health organizations that are focusing on becoming those destination spots for these different particular types of treatments, they're also investing very heavily in experience type of capabilities and digital experiences, digital health. Particularly if you're flying across the country or, heaven forbid, across the world to go see that best doctor, you're not going to be able to live near that doctor while you're recovering if it's a very chronic condition. You want to be able to have digital to be able to communicate with them. So everybody sees the value of these digital channels as a way to improve the overall care experience. I don't know, man. Okay. And scene. Okay. So I still am, am, in all honesty, leaning towards the best doctor, best clinical care. But I will admit that I think digital is going to become a, it's going to play a bigger and bigger role. Now it's going to have to get better, easier, more lightweight, you know, that kind of thing where it's like, I don't, you know, we don't need to log into 19 different platforms with retina scans and, you know, all this kind of stuff to access anything because then people are trying to do it. So I still think we got a little ways to go on some of that stuff. I mean, I, I do think that the digital experience is obviously uh, continuing to play a bigger and bigger role in that in that piece. Right. And on, and on my end, I would concede that you can try to wrap a crappy doctor around, you know, a great digital experience. Still not going to hide the fact that that's a crappy doctor and that that doctor should not be practicing care or what have you. You you need all your doctors to meet a certain performance of care. Having those digital experience components are going to be useful to the care experience. It's going to help you be more engaged as a patient or as a, you know, it's not going to solve the problem that ultimately at the end of the day, the care has to meet a certain level. All right. Uh, today, we are fortunate and excited to have Dr. Pete Alpern on the podcast. And for those that have listened, uh, you heard Pete's name and voice just a few months ago when we did our live episode from the Healthcare Internet Conference back in the fall. Pete was nice enough to be on the panel. Pete's the, the Vice President and General Manager for the Connectivity Solution portion of Doximity. is also a practicing ER physician or in the ER as an internist there at the VA in San Francisco couldn't think of anybody I'd rather visit with when we're talking about physicians' participation online. Pete, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Reed. We talk about how physicians participate online, and I think there's probably lots of guiding pieces to that. Some of it could be generational. Some of it's just personal interest. Some of it is, is your practice more consumer-focused, you know, an elective procedure versus something that is hospital-based? I guess there's different reasons why people participate online. But as you guys have kind of explored this, uh, does anything stand out to you as far as how physicians are trying to change? change the way that they view themselves online or participate online? It's a pretty complex question, but I would answer it from the perspective that more and more people are going to the internet, obviously, before they seek out healthcare. I think it's something along the lines of, of 80% of people are using platforms such as Facebook and Twitter to uh, you mm-hmm. know to find healthcare information and an online community. And that was a quote from somebody who was actually, I worked with at the VA, Seth Langenfeld, before he went to uh, the University of Nebraska. But what's interesting is that over 50% 
of consumers will Google their physician prior to going to see them in the office. And that's actually a named search. So, you know, everybody starts online by doing a, an online search for, you know, maybe cardiologist if they don't know who they're supposed to see, but they'll sure. definitely Google the name of the physician. So that's really changed things a lot. And I think what you're seeing generationally is that younger physicians intuitively understand this, but you know, some of the, the older physicians, and I'll let you be the judge of what older is, um, <laughs> but uh, certainly physicians sort of who are, I say 50 and over didn't necessarily grow up with the internet in the same way. Sure. Um, but they are coming on strong and really understanding that it is important. So what they've learned, I would say is that a couple of things, you know, first thing is that their reputation really does matter. Being at Doximity, I have the opportunity to speak with a lot of physicians in a lot of different clinical contexts, academic physicians, physicians, private practice physicians, older physicians, younger physicians, you know, across the, the spectrum. And universally now, I would say they all understand the importance of their online reputation. I wouldn't have said that was true even five years ago. Um, and I've been involved with Doximity for seven years. I would say at least five to seven years ago, that wasn't the case. And so physicians do recognize that if they don't own their online reputation, that someone else will. And I wonder if the younger physicians and the younger, I guess, millennial population, or even, even people maybe a little older than that, that have been using the internet the majority of their, at least their adult life, they're used to making relationships that way. You used to grow up, and people weren't as transient as far as moving around the country for jobs and all those types of things. So you grew up in a community, and you knew people, and that, that, that's how you went to the doctor. That's how you did everything, right? That's how you, of course, your, bank, your banking relationship, your you know healthcare, all, all those things. And that's not the way it is now. People are moving around; they're trying to find physicians. And I, you know, obviously the internet, much like for any other reason, that's where you turn first. To your point, I guess that is probably a, a pretty good indication or, or driver of how important that really anybody's reputation is online. But certainly, if you provide a service, you'd probably argue that healthcare is is one of those services that's something that you're going to continue to go back to, especially as you do get older. It's the only service that everybody's going to need. At some point. Yeah, absolutely. You've been involved with Doximity for for seven years. Yes, that's right. Since it was founded. You guys uh, collect a lot of information uh, about pretty much every physician in the country or maybe even internationally at this point. It's a directory. You know, I I tell people it's kind of a LinkedIn for physicians, right? Where physicians can connect with each other, make referrals, things like that. Is that kind of a fair descriptor? It's absolutely accurate. It is a... a LinkedIn for physicians. It's a, it's really, it's a social community, a social network for beyond physicians, by the way, news practitioners, pharmacists, et cetera. At this point, about 70% of US physicians are, are members, a little over that. And I think importantly, um, it's also a place where physicians can keep up, not just by connecting with their colleagues and the people that they practice with and make referrals, they also can read the news, et cetera. So it's become a place where looking a little bit more like Facebook every day, but it's 100% private to the Doximity community. You know, whether it's Shaw's platform or any other closed platform like that for someone like a practitioner, physician or otherwise. Is that where the comfort level still lies? Obviously, there are some compliance reasons that you can't have dialogue in some of these open platforms. Absolutely. So there's there's really two big reasons as to why it, the community remains a members only approach. Number one is the, the regulatory requirements. So the HIPAA requirements, et cetera. So it is a HIPAA compliant messaging and communication platform, which is important because, you know, physicians, aren't lawyers and they're not experts on on that. And so they tend to err on the side of caution. Plus, all of the hospitals and clinics that they practice within are, are extremely, extremely careful about 
managing the physician communication just because of all the, the legal issues. But the second reason I think is underappreciated, which is that healthcare providers do want a place where they can talk to people who do what they do. It's a pretty unique community. It's its own group of people who've gone through their own shared experience and having somebody that they mm-hmm. can communicate with, run run cases by, connect with, et cetera, and having a safe place to do that. Initially, it was physicians and we, that was just really for resource reasons. We had to start somewhere, but now it's uh, it's beyond that. There are some public aspects to Doximity, which I think when if we you know think about the reputation, we have a profile for every physician. Think of it as their online CV, their their online LinkedIn equivalent, and that's that's viewable by the public. And there's actually every single one of those is actually indexed by Google. Fifty percent of the time, that's what will pop up on page one. So if you think about that online reputation and how important that is, it's very important, I think, for a lot of people in the hospital marketing community to recognize that while they would love everybody to make it to their web page, that's just not how it works. That's not how the internet works. And so it's important for them to educate their physicians and the physicians are getting it, um, I'd like to say, to be able to communicate and, and control what the patients see about them. Those things will come up on number two or number three on Google. We're generally not above the hospital themselves, but if you look at the data, most patients, uh, I think it's over 50% will click on more than one link when they're, when they're doing their online uh, information search. So you better make sure that the sites that you don't control have the information you want the community to see. And you mentioned several things just then that, you know, the benefit of participating online. What are you guys hearing from physicians? You know, I I would assume over the last six, eight years, you've seen adoption of social properties and Mm -hmm. online activity go up, whether it's y'all's or or any of the other platforms that you guys spend time in, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, we've mentioned, etc. What are you hearing from folks of why they're doing that? Well, I think they're doing it for a couple of reasons. I think initially it was because, sort of going back to some of the same themes, I think initially you had a lot of the, the younger generation of physicians creating their own web pages and, and really mm-hmm. sort of being proactive about it. Then you had really had the hospital marketing departments rec- start to recognize how important digital was. And, and that's certainly no mystery. That That's old news. But uh, now I think you have more and more physicians who are just doing it proactively. They recognize how important it is. You know, maybe if I'm a physician who's one year from retirement, I may not worry about it. But in particular, too, I think we hit on some issues about how patients find doctors. There's also some a lot of importance of what, how you get your referrals, in particular if you're a specialist physician. So if you're a specialist physician and you're working in something that's tends to be a little bit more patient self-referred, like dermatology or uh, even elements of orthopedic surgery, it's absolutely critical. But a lot of physicians, and frankly, if you're a hospital marketer, a lot of the patients in those clinical service lines, which are critical, like neurosurgery, urology, et cetera, very important services, patients don't really self-refer for those procedures. You know what I mean? Or oncology. And the older I get, the more, more requests I get for, hey, Pete, who would you send so-and-so to? And that's really important. I need access to the platform. I get questions as well. And I keep trying to remind people that I work in marketing and um, I don't know who you should go to, but it's funny. Healthcare is one of those things. If people hear even somebody like me that has this weird loose affiliation with hospitals, they just assume I'm an expert. (laughs) You know, where should I go? And, you know, I saw this thing on how the flu shot's dangerous. And you're like, oh, God, you know, I got to answer that question every year. So how has participation changed or has it changed? Is is that something that you're seeing? You know, we're rolling into 2018. The way physicians participate, has any, does anything stand out? It's a good question. I wouldn't say that there's any, th- there sort of hasn't been a massive change sort of 
in the past year, but I will say that there's been a steady, gradual appreciation over the past five years of how important this is and that this is something that they need to pay attention to. And it's mm-hmm. if you're an academic physician, it's moved beyond just the chairman or chairwoman telling you that you, you know, hey, doctor, so-and-so, you need to go do this. And then you go spend your five minutes a year <laughs> you know, and, and making sure that your phone number is updated. What we're seeing now is a lot more attention paid by physicians at, uh, to the elements of their profile. The public professional page concept focused on medicine uh, and the other sorts of things that they do um, are really catching on with physicians. It's not just sort of a standard web page. We're seeing a lot more interest in how those pages are designed. On the Doximity side, we're, we're seeing increased engagement significantly increased engagement by our physician community to do a whole variety of different things, but also just a lot more data elements, if you will, being populated into those Mm -hmm. profiles. So just an increasing number of physicians putting their mobile numbers in, uh, putting their email addresses in. Now, again, they feel safe because it's a community, but they recognize, particularly the specialist physicians, recognize how important it is for them to be able to be reached. And even having that number up there simply tells the referring physician, I'm open for business. You know, we hear a lot about you know transparency uh, in the marketing world right now with publishing age caps data and some things like right. that, and so that kind of all kind of filters. But even though this is a close you know uh, scenario, that, that's kind of I guess philosophically kind of filters back that direction. Hospitals, you know, an awful lot of people that listen to this podcast work inside the hospital, primarily in marketing mm-hmm. communications. What, what does all this mean to them as they engage their physician population, whether it's employed physicians or, you know, like us here in Texas, the hospitals don't employ doctors, right. at least the vast majority of them don't. What does that mean to them? How, you know, what, what, what can they do to best engage these groups? I think people have recognized that social media is a really valuable way to spread information. But physicians in particular really, I think, are increasingly becoming aware of and therefore are now sort of acting on this, that you know, there's a personal sort of online information and there's a professional online information to maintain that professional boundary. Because even physicians are not employed in Texas and California, it's the same. They can't be employed by hospitals either, but they're still very much tightly associated with the hospitals. And so there is a symbiotic relationship and they do need to work together. I think it is important for the physicians to recognize and to take take advantage of this. And, if, and, and on the hospital side, I think just really educating physicians, it's really key because physicians respond very well to education. While they don't like to be told what to do, if you can provide a, a strong use case and a valid you know, value proposition, Dr. So-and-so, you should be doing this because um, this is these are the, the, the benefits that you'll get. I think you'll be in a great position. Like a couple of examples, you can affect and influence those, those social interactions about healthcare. And hospitals can play a strong role in that as well and help the physicians facilitate that. Um, and they can also, you know, you can talk to them about, you know, providing assistance and information to their communities. I think this is great. And, and I, you know, I just want to encourage uh, hospitals that are out there. You know, there are physicians, uh, whether they're in your local market or not, there are physicians that are participating online. And there's great examples out there. And sometimes that's one of the best ways to go about it is to show people what other people are doing that uh, are being successful. So one website that always caught my my is that you know NYU University did a redo of their website and it's great it's very beautiful I'd encourage people to take a look at that just the way that people roll through it nice information about the clinicians you know if I if you're online it may as well look nice and be, be easy to navigate 
Absolutely. Well, he is Dr. Pete Alburn with Doximity and, uh, of course, practicing out at the VA in San Francisco. Uh, for those that want to track you down or connect with you online, what's the what's the best way they can do that? I'm available in a variety of different locations. Uh, you can search for me on Doximity. Um, if you just honestly search for Pete Alpern uh, Doximity, I'm also Pete at Doximity is my email. Very cool. And we'll be sure to put all that in the show notes as well. But certainly appreciate the time and look forward to uh, having you back on in the future. Hey, thanks, Reed. Really appreciate it. Chris, good news. The healthcare industry now has its own domain name. What? Absolutely. Everybody knows that organizations have .org, education has .edu. Well, now .health is available and quickly becoming the home for all health-related content online. And listeners to our podcast can visit git.health slash touchpoint. Visit git.health slash touchpoint now. Here we are at the end of episode 51. So great episode, uh, one week shy of our anniversary. I'm talking about physicians, the different elements of digital online and how they participate in those or might participate in those. It's been good. And of course, a great interview with Dr. Pete Alperin over at Doximity. It's great to have somebody that uh, not only practices medicine like he, he does out at the VA in San Francisco, but works in kind of the innovation side of the business as well. So it lined up very nicely for this episode. Before we get to recommendations, thank you, thank you, thank you to all our sponsors. Thanks again to all those of you that listen. If you have not, if you will uh, visit our new website at touchpoint.health, we would certainly appreciate that. Love to hear some feedback there. And uh, be sure to uh, subscribe over at iTunes. All right, so uh, recommendations. What do you got? Well, Reed, I am going to recommend something that is going to take an interesting turn as my uh, make my recommendation. Uh-oh. Up here in Minnesota, it's a little bit cold. Mm-hmm. And people are kind of proud of Minnesota as being a, a cold place, a, a region of the cold, very close to the northern border of the United States. That's why we actually call ourselves not the Midwest, but the North sometimes. We have t-shirts, we have hats and everything that say North on them. That's like we're kind of taking that and branding that. You'll see that in the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks and all that. So there's a company, it's called Askoff Finlayson. Okay. So they, they do clothing and they do a lot of different stuff that's kind of made here in Minnesota. But my recommendation is not the clothing store askoffinlayson.com, which you can go to and check it out. But they also spend a lot of time focusing on the environment. They do a lot of different work around the environment. And recently they brought over the chief marketing officer from Patagonia to lead their efforts because Patagonia is a very um, Mm cause-based company. Mm -hmm. And they're doing a variety of cool products as well as, you know, embracing environmentalism. And this leads to my recommendation. One of the things that they do, they partner with a local brewery to try to use local ingredients that are environmentally friendly to create new beer. Wow. What they're using is a a wheatgrass called Kernza. It really is good for the environment. It's unlike wheat, help decrease erosion. Um, So anyway, they partnered with a local brewery to create a beer called Keep the North Cold Beer. One of the first environmentally friendly beers that's brewed. It doesn't use traditional grains. It uses a per, the perennial Kernza grain, um, as well as rice, wheat, sorghum, and others. 
And it's designed to really have a low environmental impact, but a lot of flavor. And I went this weekend and had a glass at the local brewery, the Fair State Co-op Brewery. And I'm telling you, it was amazing. And we bought a growler. We brought it home with us. We have some in the fridge, refrigerating right now. So keep the North Cold beer is my recommendation. Wow. Well, mine's not near that exciting, but (laughs) very practical, however. All right, so I'm recommending, I'm kind of falling into a rhythm here of recommending writing utensils, I guess. And so this isn't exactly a writing utensil, but it's used along with, I guess. So I'm recommending a ruler, not just any ruler, the Westcott Wood Ruler with both metric and 116th scale with the single metal edge. So you need to have something on your desk where you can like draw like a straight line, like a true edge. And so this ruler is great because it has the little metal strip down one edge and the ruler is flat. You know, a lot of these rulers like kind of get this weird convex kind of arched middle or whatever. This is flat. It'll fit under stuff. You can use it as a bookmark even, I guess. But it's a uh, you know, 12 inch ruler or 30 centimeters. That's my recommendation the Westcott Wood Ruler. Awesome. A ruler and beer. Yeah. We're a well rounded podcast, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> Be sure to tune in next week, one year for the big celebration. It is. Send your birthday cakes, birthday presents, and birthday greetings to us <laughs> over Twitter, LinkedIn. You get, if you know our email, send it our way. That's right. Reed, you promised to eat cake all next episode. So what, what flavor cake is your favorite? That's a good question. I'm not, I'm not a huge icing person. I'm more of, a, mm-hmm. more of the actual cake piece of it. you know. So traditional birthday cake's not bad, but that's not, not what I would get. I'm really more of a pie person. Mm. Uh, so I may go more pie than, than cake actually next week, but we'll, we'll see. Tune in for that episode. It should be fun. Absolutely, absolutely. And so uh, for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week.